0: As always, kids are welcome to stay with us uh, in the service this morning as we come to Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Before we uh, come uh, to our passage this morning, I wonder if you've ever walked into a conversation and you thought you knew what was being talked about. I've guessed from some of those laughs that you have. Not only did you think that you knew it was being talked about, but then you started participating in said conversation, even making suggestions and giving input in how someone might handle this situation that you think that you understand what this conversation is about. Maybe you even go so far into the conversation without recognizing that you had no idea what they were talking about, and it wasn't until much later that you realized what happened. This has happened to me more than I'd like to admit, and my guess from your chuckles and laughter is that it's happened to many of you as well. But let's take this even a step further. What about when this happens, and instead of admitting that you didn't know what was being discussed, and that your suggestions and input might not be the best advice, you are either so embarrassed or too proud to admit your mistake. And that you either don't say anything at all or you even move forward with your suggestions and advice just to hide your embarrassment or your pride. This morning we find Haman in this very situation. Because of his pride, he believes that the conversation that he walks into is about him and sees an opportunity to receive even greater status and honor of the king. Instead, his pride leads him to having the honor of the king given to Mordecai instead. So let's read Esther 6, 1 through 14. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana Big and Tresha, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the thr- threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Azuerus. And the king said, "'What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this?' The king's young men who attended him said, "'Nothing has been done for him.' And the king said, "'Who is in the court?' And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose royal and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but he but will surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word today that Lord, that we would indeed have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we would be conformed to it and transformed by it. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue our series in the book of Esther, last week, Pastor Alex preached from chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we saw two plans being put into place. Esther goes before the king, risking her life and requests that the king and Haman come to a special banquet in their honor. At the same time, even... After being honored by the queen, Haman finds himself filled with wrath toward Mordecai and goes home to recount how great he is and a plan is made to kill Mordecai immediately, not waiting for the subsequent uh, edict of the king. What we discovered in our text is that Esther was willing to stand in the gap between her people and the king, even willing to die. And even more than Esther being willing to die we know another who stood in the gap, that is Jesus Christ and gave his life for his people. And we saw that because Jesus has given his life, we can approach the eternal king in humility and obedience and for God's glory. This morning, we pick up the story on the night of this banquet given by Esther. Our text tells us that on that night, the king could not sleep. Maybe it was something he ate, and uh, maybe some of us have had that experience before. We've eaten something that didn't quite sit right, and we were up all night. Maybe it was knowing, not knowing what Queen Esther was going to ask for. Maybe his mind was racing with all the different things that Queen Esther might ask of him. Maybe he had insomnia, and this was a common occurrence. We don't know what the immediate cause was, but the Greek translation makes what is implicit explicit with this statement. I've noted before that the Septuagint, the Greek translation, often inserts the Lord or God in places where it's not in the Hebrew as a way to kind of point out that God is at work. And it says, the Lord took sleep from the king that night. In God's providence, the king could not sleep that night. So he asks for the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, to be read to him. And I like to think that in his frustration over his sleeplessness, he thinks, what is the most boring thing that I could read? (laughs) Ah, the book of Chronicles, yes. Bring the book of Chronicles of the deeds of the kings to help put me to sleep. And instead, what he finds is that he has made a significant oversight something on his watch was not done correctly. He was mortified to find that nothing had been done to honor honor Mordecai publicly for the foiled assassination plot against him five years earlier. It was important that Persian kings, I would think any king really, publicly reward those who were loyal as a means of promoting their own safety in treacherous times. And Mordecai, what's interesting here, I think we get a little insight. Mordecai no doubt, had been painfully disappointed by this oversight. I mean, it had five years. And if the Persian kings were known to honor those who had uh, stood by them, who had uh, helped protect them, for him to not have received this honor would have been very disappointing, I would assume. And this may give us some insight into why Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. Mordecai may have believed that he deserved the honor, that had been given to Haman, or if not given that honor, was upset that he wasn't honored while Haman had been, seemingly, had been honored for seemingly no reason. The king has been up all night. And with this news of his oversight, he wants to immediately remedy the situation, so he asks his attendants, who's available to give him advice on what should be done to honor Mordecai? And Haman just happens to have just... So the king calls Haman into his court and asks, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman, in his pride, believes that he is the one to be honored and gives the king advice on what he would like to receive, his robe, his crown, his horse. Now, Haman's request to wear the king's robe and ride the king's horse was something that would have in that culture been intended not only to honor himself, but also to honor the king, to reinforce his relationship with the king. A man permitted to wear the king's robe would be vested with a certain dignity and prestige in the eyes of his peers because of his close association with the king. What we see here is one of the most ironically comic scenes in the entire Bible. While Haman is plotting the death of Mordecai, the king plans to honor Mordecai's faithful service. And unexpectedly, Haman enters the king's court where he trips over his own pride. Who is there that the king would rather honor than me, he says. As one commentator noted, if ever there was a picture of pride going before the fall, Haman is it. God's providence is once again on full display a series of coincidences that are out of the control of any of the characters, particularly Haman, the man who is second in command to the king. Remember that Haman is second in command to the king. He is rendered powerless by a, quote, chance event when the king just happens to have a sleepless night. He just happens to have the chronicles of his reign read to him. He just happens to hear the story of Mordecai's loyalty, just happens to come to his attention at the same moment that Haman happens to be plotting Mordecai's death. We see the story and the circumstances begin to turn and a great reversal will follow. And It reminds us what Proverbs 21 1, says, it's on full display in our passage today, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In spite of having all the power of the Persian empire at his disposal, Haman's carefully laid plans were turned against him simply because the king had a sleepless night. The author of Esther is suggesting that beneath the surface of human actions and actions, the actions taking place is an unseen and uncontrollable power at work, which can be neither explained nor prevented. The author is implying a consistency in God's rule of human history that is based on his word, not on the circumstances that we see or that we find ourselves in. That regardless of how circumstances appear, God is ruling history according to the covenant he has made with his people. Whether the impending destruction of the Jewish people or the more, quote, mundane circumstances of life, or even the difficult and testing circumstances as God's people, we're reminded that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God providentially directs the flow of human history through the ordinary lives of individuals to fulfill the promises of his covenant. Karen Jobes, commenting on this passage, reminds us, "It is is it not true that God has worked in our own life often through events that were unexpected and seemed insignificant at the time?" God's care and protection for his children seldom come by mighty miracles, but constantly and inexorably inexorably with the unfolding circumstances of each day. As one thing leads to another, tiny miracles of God's providence direct your steps. Of course, not all of life's circumstances are pleasant. Life's circumstances can be tragic, ugly, and destructive like the plot to annihilate the Jews of Persia. The death of a loved one, serious illness, wayward children, broken relationships, shattered hopes and dreams, all are links in the uninterrupted chain of life. And while none of these things is good in itself, even in the worst of life circumstances, God is working to fulfill his perfect promises. One thing leads to the next, the path the joy God promises may wind through the swamps of suffering and despair. And while we could leave our explanation and application of our text here, that God's sovereign rule and care of his people is happening all the time, often unbeknownst to us, there is One more aspect of our text that if we miss, we've missed a wonderful truth. And in fact, we've missed how we can trust in God's providence. Because as she points out, as Karen Jobs points out, not all of life, in fact, a good portion of life is not roses, is not laughter, is not skipping through fields of daisies, It is hard. And how do we, as God's people, facing the impending annihilation of a people, facing the hardships of life, how do we trust that our God is good? How do we trust that his providence is ultimately for us and not against us? Well, there was a seemingly other very ordinary human event. The birth of a baby in a town called Bethlehem. The ordinary and the miraculous intersect in Jesus Christ. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our destiny has been reversed from death to life against all odds. And not only has our destiny been reversed from death to life, but we receive the honor of the King. You see, that's our main point of our text today is that because Jesus has received all glory and honor, we receive the honor of the King. Right? Did you get that in the text? Mordecai receives the honor of the king. You see, Jesus has entered the courts of the Father, been given all glory and honor, been lavished with the entire inheritance of heaven, and when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have the book of Chronicles read to them, they read of treachery, done to overthrow the king, But they don't read any of our names as stopping the plot. In fact, we were the ones plotting against the king. But Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve. And not only that, but then our names are inexplicably written in the chronicles of the king. We are given his robes. A crown is set on our head. We ride on his horses. We are given rooms in his castle. We receive the honor of the king. Look, some commentators are like Mordecai lived up to, having lived up to his. Uh, desire to, uh, to serve the king was rewarded because he was faithful to the king. Mordecai did not deserve to be honored. If we've seen what we've seen throughout the book of Esther, Mordecai was not faithful to the king because he would not bow to Haman. Right By him not bowing to Haman, he was saying to the king, basically giving him the middle finger, (laughs) saying, I am not submitting to your rule and reign. He may have in one aspect of his life honored the king by seeking to preserve his life, but he was just as guilty of not serving and honoring the king. And yet he receives an honor unexpected, an honor undeserved. Brothers and sisters, that is our story. No matter what we might say, no matter how we might have lived a certain portion of our life, Just like Mordecai, we do not deserve to be honored by the king. And yet, in God's goodness and grace and mercy, in his great compassion, we are given his robes. We ride on his horses a crown is placed on our head. We receive the honor that is due only to Jesus Christ. This is how, brothers and sisters, we can trust in the providence of God. Because we know, first and foremost, that our identity is in Christ in our identity as a son or daughter of God who is honored, who is blessed, who the crown and the robe has been placed upon us. We have been, this has been bestowed upon us. We partake of the king's own prestige and stature. And so when we experience the hard providences of life, know that as we experience those, we experience them not as those who are cast off, not as those who are unloved or unwelcomed, but as those who have received honor As sons and daughters of the King. That is who you are in Christ, first and foremost. Because Jesus has received all glory and honor, we receive the honor of the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those here this morning. that first do not know the honor of the king. That they would know the honor that is available to them through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I also pray for those here this morning that like it's often difficult and often a part of our human struggle who do not see themselves in Christ, who have not known that deep in their heart in their soul that they are a beloved child of God. They are your beloved child and you place your honor upon them. May they know that this day as they have not known it before. And, Lord, as we walk the path of this life, may we know that identity as we trust in your ultimately good providence in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.